0: We turn to Psalm 31. We read this psalm in connection with our treatment of the doctrine of providence as taught in Lord's Day 10. Psalm 31. We hear the inspired word of God In Thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me. For thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regarded lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mine. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me. They devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly, and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord. For he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. We read God's word that far. May God bless His word to our hearts. In connection with this passage, as well as many others to which we'll make reference, we have the teaching of Lord's Day 10 on page 7 in the back of our Psalters. Question and answers 27 and 28. What dost thou mean by the providence of God? the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, Since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we confess that we believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we confess the glorious doctrine of God's providence. The God who created all things is a God who in His perfect providence continues to uphold everything by His great power and by His majesty. God created the world in six literal 24-hour days. Moment by moment, after creation, He continues to uphold everything by His power. He didn't abandon the world that He had made, but He stays intimately invested in and involved in every aspect Of the creation. Providence teaches us that God cares for the world which He made. And not only is He governing all things and upholding all things, He has a purpose to which He's directing everything. So everything that takes place is being governed by God with a view to His own glory, the salvation of His church. Now, John 3, verse 16, and many other passages teach that God so loved the world. And we realize that those passages are not merely teaching about the world of God's elect. That is the case. God loves his elect. But it's teaching broader that God loves the cosmos. God loves the whole of the creation. And God is tenderly directing now this Fallen creation with a view to the end that He has determined for it. There's no place for macro evolution in the Christian faith. God is the one, intimately and directly involved. Not only does evolution teach that everything happens by chance, but also that the creation continues by that same luck, by that same chance. The health that I enjoy and that you enjoy is simply a matter of the luck of the draw. The beauty of the crops is just simply something that has to do with good fortune. Our life is all directed just by the roll of the dice, so to speak. If we have a disease, if we're pinched for money, it's just that we got a bad roll. All things being directed and governed simply by chance. Evolution is unbelief. And the goal of evolution is to put God outside of the creation. It's to deny God, to deny His Son, Jesus Christ, and to put Him outside of the creation. The confession of the child of God is, I don't want to be freed from God. To know my connection with God and to know that I belong to Him is my highest joy and comfort. Providence is the precious doctrine of the Bible that teaches... God is my refuge. He is my fortress. In God do I put my trust. The doctrine of providence is taught throughout the scriptures. Our confessions beautifully elaborate on that doctrine. The Belgic Confession in article 13 has a beautiful article on the doctrine of providence. We find many passages, as we're going to make reference to some, that emphasize this beautiful teaching. And there's one thing that runs through the Bible, a figure, number of figures can be used with regard to providence, but one especially that we want to focus on this evening, that of God's hand. The hand of God is an often reoccurring theme. It's found repeatedly throughout Psalm 31. God's hand. It's found three times here in Lord's Day, 10. Jesus said in John 10, No man can pluck them out of my hand. No man can pluck them out of my father's hand. Job, in the midst of all of his struggles with the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans, said, The hand of God has touched me. It wasn't primarily the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, the devil. The hand of God. This truth assures us that Almighty God is the one who brings the wind. He's the one that brings the tornado, the hail. He's the one that controls the economy. He's the one that controls all the nations and all the dictators of the world. So that He is the one guiding and leading them according to His perfect counsel. The Belgian Confession in Article 13 beautifully states that He so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without His will and permission, they cannot hurt us. And even more marvelous is that confession rising out of those who were to be martyred for their faith. As they watched their loved ones die, and as they watched the cruel rulers kill them, this was their confession. Even this is the hand of God. God is the one who is overruling and determining that this is the end and therefore translating our loved ones to glory. Now, beloved, this is a deep mystery. We cannot fully understand or fathom God's hand in our lives. We're all familiar with Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And probably the most important words... Of that confession are the first three. And we know. God works faith in our hearts. By which we believe that God truly is sovereign. That he's the one directing all things. We don't always feel it. We struggle when God's hand brings sickness and cancer and sudden death. When God's hand brings birth defects When God sovereignly controls the awful sins in our lives, sins in the lives of others that have tremendous impacts on us, there's hurt, there's sorrow, there's agony. God's hand bears the burdens that we experience. And again, we can't fully understand. We can't grasp it. But we know the heart of God which directs His hand. And we know that our heavenly father loves us with an everlasting love and his heart is to bring us to glory and to our greatest good for his glory this is the truth of providence and beloved we look at upheld by god's hand noting a powerful hand noting a loving hand and noting an eternal hold the almighty everywhere present power of God. Providence teaches us the awesome power, the awesome majesty of our God. Not only does it teach that God is watching over everything, that God is seeing everything that takes place, this is the truth that nothing happens apart from His sovereign control. Now we know God uses means, As the Westminster Confession talks about in its definition, God makes use of primary, secondary means. But yet, Jehovah and His hand are behind it all. He's not just watching the actions of men, but He, by His hand, is directing the whole of the creation. Upholding and governing upholding it so that it continues to exist and governing it with a view to the goal that he has so that nothing happens of its own, everything according to God's providence. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24 state, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth Seth, the Lord. The far-flung galaxies, the stars, the meteors, they're all known and directed by God. The shifting of the plates of the earth that cause earthquakes and tremendous tsunamis, all guided and directed by God's hand. The blowing of the winds that result in hurricanes and tornadoes and disasters and create untold damage. All expressions of the might the power, the glory of Jehovah God. The trees losing their leaves and then regaining them again in the spring, bearing fruit in the fall. All, not merely natural cycles, but ordained by Almighty God. The hand of God's providence touches us so personally that it comes down to what we'll be eating for supper tonight after the service. God's providence controls our appetite. It controls our stomach, our gallbladder. It controls our pancreas. It controls all the digestive system. It touches the whole of our kidneys. It makes them function. God's providence makes our heart continue its rhythm. God is the one that creates conception. It's not merely a man and a woman coming together. We know it's God that works, that wonder. All that I am. I owe to thee. Thy wisdom hath fashioned me. Psalm 139. The heart, whether it's beating regular or irregular, directed by God. The moment it stops and we're transported into the light of eternal glory, God's hand, His providence is that which touches us. Even the little one in the womb, every little aspect of that little one being formed and fashioned marvelously according to God. We stand in awe. Marvelous are the works of God. And that's the confession here of the psalmist. He acknowledges God is the one to whom he can look in his trouble and in his distress. God is my rock, my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. We're being led, we're being guided by the hand of Jehovah God. Matthew 10, verses 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That marvelous confession. That's not an exaggeration. God so holds all things in the creation that the sparrows, the hairs on our head. All of that is directed and governed by His mighty hand. And so providence is God's mighty hand controlling man and all the affairs of man and all the affairs of the creation in which we live. In verse 15, the psalmist confesses, My times are in thy hand. In Jeremiah 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We don't just confess God controlling the creation about us and the world around us. We confess that God's control includes the whole of creation. It includes all of the animals, all the plants, the fields, the crops, everything. But also every detail of your and my life. And God proves that point in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. He quotes there an obscure portion of the law written in Deuteronomy. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth the corn. Doth God care for oxen? Now remember that passage written in the context of the reluctance of the Corinth church to provide for their pastor. And so now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 quotes from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Now what's the point of that quote? God said in the Old Testament, you may not muzzle the ox. Was that written simply because God loved animals? And the Apostle says, no, that was written for your sakes. For you to know that God loves animals and that he cares for the oxen is to believe in that far more is His care for you. If God cares for the animals and He cares for the plants, how much more is He going to care for you, who are His beloved child, His blood-bought son or daughter? He's not merely concerned with the animals. His concern is with us and with our ways. And so man is not independent. The life of man is in the hands of God as God directs the lives of His children for His glory and for His honor, but also the lives of the wicked. Think of the account in Daniel's day. Belteshazzar took over from Nebuchadnezzar, and he ruined the kingdom. He was a proud, wicked man. He pursued his own will, his own ambitions. Openly, he blasphemed God. And you children remember that history? He had a huge party and what did he do in the middle of the party he went to the get the vessels that had been taken out of the temple of god and he decided to use them for his party and so in the middle of that wicked party as they're taking these vessels that were consecrated for use in the temple god comes to him and you children remember how god came to him a hand remember a hand writing on the wall Meeny meeny take o you farson numbered weighed found wanting Daniel boldly confronts Belshazzar as he's trembling in fear about what this hand is all about and what the writing on the wall is and Daniel states the god in whose hand thy breath is and in whom is all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. God holds every man and his life in his hand. And in marvelous wisdom, in perfect power, he will bring the proud low, and he will exalt his name and his glory. Our lives are directed by the hand of God. He leadeth me. He leads me through sickness. He leads me through health. He leads me through death to glory. He leads a little boy. He leads a little girl through the struggles that they endure and through the circumstances of their life and the details of their life and the careers that they pursue and who they marry and how their lives will transpire. He's the one that leads whether it be through sorrows and struggles and challenges or through wealth and through prosperity. He's the one that gives talents, abilities, everything included in God's providence. Sends good, but also evil. And the lofty part of providence is that Jehovah God, by His hand, is leading everything for our good. He loves His church. He loves His saints. And therefore, the hand of God is present for good. And the psalmist confesses that in verse 23. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. God is preserving the faithful. Look to him. He's your strength. He's your comfort. Now that hand is a loving hand for God's children that nothing shall separate us from his love. In the palm of that hand of God, God holds his children. History is the outfolding of God's counsel in general, but more magnificent is the fact that God throughout history is revealing the wonder of what he's doing for his church and for his saints. He's revealing his love for you and for me. And he's guarding his church with a special eye. Working with a special watchfulness regarding his children. In verse 19, O how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. Goodness that God has laid up for us as his children who fear him. Which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. He hides us in the secret of his presence, his pavilion. That's the love with which God loves his children. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, He careth for you. 1 Corinthians 3:21. All things are for your sakes. To be a child of God, beloved, means that the living God who has given His own Son for me is the one who is governing every aspect of my life for my eternal good and salvation and for His glory. Under His wings, I safely abide. The Lord, my shepherd, holds me. The Scripture is filled with beautiful confessions Concerning this hand of God as a hand of love for his children and for his church. Now this evening we can make a few applications. First of all, chance then is the great enemy of providence. All things come not by chance. Either God determines all things or everything happens simply by chance. Either God governs or it's luck or fortune. Where God is not known, men abound in darkness, superstition, and voodoo, rule. Now in our country where the light of the gospel has shone, but society has turned away from the gospel to make their own lusts their God, men, women turn to chance, the lotto, gambling, slot machines, betting, and Opportunity abounds in our day to pursue such. Do we profess our Heavenly Father holding us in His hand? Or do we pride in chance? Lady Luck, boasting of self, boasting of what I'm able to accomplish by picking the right numbers and playing the right games. Beloved, if that's the way that we live, it's going to be evident in our lives. A life given over to gambling, to addictions, living to win the lottery and to pursue mammon. The result is a loss of one's soul, tragically, without repentance. We believe God. My Father upholds all things with His hand. And therefore I labor before his face, diligently in the calling in which God has placed me, looking to him as the one who gives, but also the one who takes, and confessing his goodness and his mercy that fails never. But secondly, there's a warning then against our pride and our arrogance. When things go well, we puff ourselves up in pride. We so quickly attribute it to good business decisions, good things that I've done and I've accomplished. When someone pays us a compliment, so quickly it goes to our head. God gives us beauty. He gives us gifts. He gives us handsome qualities. He provides us with opportunities. And so quickly we think that we're better than the next person. Pride, arrogance, rule. Who gave you those looks? Who gave you those skills? All things come from the hand of our Heavenly Father. It didn't come of my own. It isn't something for which I can take credit. Who made me differ from another? It's God. By His hand comes my ability, my skill, my opportunities, my intelligence. He's the one to whom all glory is to be directed. A practical application of providence is humility and thankfulness. But third, God is the one to whom we look for all our strength and perseverance. He's the one who upholds us, and we cry out to Him. Patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. The Catechism states, that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from His love. This is a hand of love. With which he governs and directs us. And God gives us to see and to know the wonder of that love in Jesus Christ. To believe in providence means then that I'm not often overcome with impatience. I'm not as a brute who's unthankful, but I'm one who acknowledges God in my life and looks to him and knows his care for me and is thankful. Now, there are times when God's hand is veiled in seeming secrecy. Psalm 77 states, God's way is in the sea, His footsteps unknown. We must be careful. Psalm 31 here. The psalmist struggles at times with regard to God's way and God's path. It's important that we don't try to interpret providence for someone else when we struggle to see how it's working out in our own lives. Saints often could not see how God was working this or that together for good. Could Joseph see and know? He could not see and know, but by faith he believed. And the story of Joseph is outstanding in the wondrous grace that God gives to His children. Though He was treated evilly by His brothers, though they meant it in sin, yet God was working a marvelous wonder by which He would save His church and bring the Christ. Joseph couldn't see, he couldn't understand, but God worked in him the faith by which he believed that wonder. Could David see how he was going to be king when he was being hunted by Saul? God had given him the promise, but hard it was for him to see concretely how this was going to work out together for his good. Saul hated him, and Saul was hunting him, and David is constantly fleeing Saul. Easy it was for David to become discouraged. And then his own son Absalom turns on him. The whole book of Job, as we've looked at, is written to explain the deep providence of God. Job is brought to humble himself before God and confess his trust in God. And when God's way leads through trouble and through anxiety, we confess, God is working all things together for my good. I can't see it. I can't understand it. But I believe it. Why are there these struggles? Why are there these tears? Why are all these difficulties in my life? God has a purpose. He is sovereign, and He holds me in His hand. As the psalmist expresses those struggles here, in verse 18, Let lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. It seems as though His enemies are rising up against Him, It seems as though there's struggles and trials. His eyes are consumed with grief. He can't see how the way before him can ever work together for good. He struggles as he's being reproached, forgotten, slandered. But he's clinging to God's goodness. And we find the psalmist again and again clinging to God's promises, crying out, How great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. God is faithful, and his faithfulness is evident. And by God's grace, we seek the things that are good. We seek after the things that are right. And we walk by faith, not by sight. We desire a healthy child. God gives us a child that has many defects and many struggles that require early surgeries. Breaks our hearts as parents to have to see a child go through that. We desire a job to be able to support our family. God takes from us that job. Why? Why does God bring about a loss? Why does God give children to those who don't want them, who would abandon them? And then He withholds them from couples who fervently pray for them, who desire them. Why is it that my son, my daughter, turns away from God and forsakes the faith? Why is it that my neighbor who doesn't even go to church seems to have it so well while I struggle so much? Why don't I seem to recover from this surgery? It seems like I'm working so hard and yet I'm in a wheelchair and I still can't get around very well. Why did I have to suffer abuse as I did as a child? How could that have been an expression of God's love? Why would God want me in this situation, in that circumstance? Why did He put me in this marriage? Asaph, in Psalm 73, asks all these questions. He can't fathom. He can't see God's hand. And yet, he says, Then I went into the sanctuary. All was made plain. God is the one who holds me in His hand, who leads me by His counsel, and afterward receives me to glory. Beloved, the ways of God's hand are not always fathomable for us. The hand of providence follows God's wisdom, not ours. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. The secret of God's hand is confessed by faith. I believe. And that's the confession that we're making through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe. My faith is not ill-founded. Hebrews 11 verse 1 reminds us faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the secret to providence. Without the gift of faith, we just continually would be asking why. But faith embraces something wonderful. Faith embraces the love of God in Jesus Christ as a love that is everlasting, that is eternal. Unbelief sees a question mark. Faith sees a wonder. There is rhyme. There is reason. God takes me to Himself. God is holding me in His loving hand and He's guiding me according to a wonderful, a glorious way that I can't fathom, but which is for my good and for His glory. And His glory in Jesus Christ is the goal of all things. That eternal hold is confessed by the believer All creatures are so in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. God's goal for all things revealed in Ephesians 1 verse 10, that in the the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. God is gathering all things together in Christ. Providence doesn't have an earthly goal. It has a heavenly, spiritual goal. And Jesus expressed that spiritual, heavenly goal in his high priestly prayer in John 17, prior to his death. The disciples were looking at this earth, but Jesus' prayer was to lift them, to direct their view heavenward, that he might be in them, and they in me, he said. That we might be one and that we might experience the fullness of that unity in glory. Faith clings to Christ and the wonder of the union that is ours in Him. Faith confesses, I'm not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And faith then looks to the cross. If we think about God's providence, the cross is the most astounding expression of God's providence. Why would God cause His own Son to have to die such a horrible death? Acts 2 verse 23 directs us to the reality and wonder that this was according to God's sovereign plan and purpose. His counsel. And yet, wicked men took Jesus, motivated by sinful desires, and hung Him on the cross. But all of it, An expression of the love of God for His church and for His children. Willing to give up His own Son for the sake of those who are the objects of His everlasting love. Faith looks to the cross. Faith doesn't look at my day and try to figure out a purpose of God in my day merely. Faith doesn't focus on the disappointments and the struggles And try to work out somehow, some kind of plan here. If you don't look to the cross, beloved, you'll be lost. And you'll never understand. You'll never see. But the cross is the compelling argument for providence. If God has so loved me that He spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for our sins, so that we would live forever with Him, He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to continue to work all things together for our good. If He's given us Christ, we have everything that we need. And now, He's preparing and guiding us for the glory that awaits. That's the argument of Scripture and the force behind Romans 8, verse 28. That all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Understand the significance of that argument. It's something that every little boy, every little girl is familiar with. Your toy is broken. What do you do? You go to someone who's stronger than you. Someone who's smarter than you. Someone whom you know can help you. You go to your dad. You go to your mom. They're going to help you. Beloved, we experience brokenness. We experience sorrow. What do we do? We go to our Father, far greater, who loves us, who preserves and keeps us, who's working all things together for our good. And providence teaches us, look to Him, confess His goodness, lay hold upon His mercy, trust in Him. He gave you His own Son. How much more will He not assist you in the struggles that currently you confront. And again, that's the psalmist confession here. Verse 19, O how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. Verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. Beloved, you are in the palm of Almighty God. Eternally, God placed us in His palm by eternal election. It had nothing to do with you, nothing to do with me. In time, Jesus placed us in His palm by His perfect sacrifice on Calvary. And we are safe, we are secure within the hand of Jehovah God. By faith we embrace that. By faith we confess that. That alone is able to keep us from falling into the miry pit of bitterness, resentment, despair, lack of thankfulness and gratitude. That miry clay of bitterness is where the devil wants you and wants me. And you know people that live in that resentment, that bitterness over things that were done to them things that happen in their life, things that they're never going to forget. And they just continue plodding along with that bitterness and that resentment in their lives. Is that you? Is that me? Beloved, we need to repent. We need to turn away from that. We may not live with a spiritual chip on our shoulder. That's what Satan desires. He wants us to resent God. He wants us to walk constantly as those who are... Walking in anger and in hatred with regard to God's dealing in our lives. And so often he succeeds. He succeeded in Esau. He succeeded in Judas. Jacob almost fell into that pit. When Jacob looked around him and said, Everything is against me. I've lost Joseph. Now Simon is taken from me. Benjamin is brought to Egypt. All things weren't against him. All things were for him. But he couldn't see it. He couldn't understand it. But that's the pit into which the devil desires that we fall. We don't like how God's hand has made us. We don't like the life that God's hand has directed us to walk. We're not satisfied with God's hand as it's guiding and leading us through this life. We're not satisfied with the circumstances, the situations in which he's placed us. Beloved, that, dis- that will ruin us. The devil will bring us down to despair. But the mighty Savior, the conquering Lord, works grace in our hearts, overcoming bitterness, overcoming resentment, working in us the blessed awareness. My Father, I will praise Him who is my God. In Thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in Thy righteousness. Beloved, the significance of the doctrine of providence is that it directs us to the hand of God and the love that God has for us and His permanent care for us. He preserves and He keeps us. And beloved, in that there is comfort. God holds me in His hand and nothing, nothing can separate me from the wonder of His love. Every aspect of my life planned according to His perfect wisdom He's not just shining light for the stars and feeding the birds. He's with me. And He's holding me in His hand. And nothing, nothing can separate me from those hands. His grace and His loving kindness will ever follow me. Beloved, may that praise and may that thanksgiving live in our hearts. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what great things Thou hast done for us. We struggle We experience bitterness and difficulties in the midst of this life. Lord, forgive us, strengthen our faith, cause that we might cling to thy word and thy promises, and that we might ever go forward in the blessed assurance. Thou art the one holding us by thy hand, guiding us by thy counsel, and will afterward receive us into glory. Amen.